was the best music video of all time by several different music, uh, um, whoever decides that stuff, several different organizations have described that or named that or awarded that as the best music video of all time. It was originally a cover song of a guy named Trent Reznor who didn't like the idea that someone else was singing a song at first, but after he saw that video, he said, that song belongs to Johnny Cash now. It was Johnny Cash coming to the end of his life, and he was looking back on it all. And what he says at the end of this song, that, that line, I just can't stop thinking about. You can have it all. My empire of dirt. So uh, next week, Richard Beck is going to be here preaching on Ecclesiastes and he's going to do on Saturday night the gospel according to Johnny Cash. He's written a book on Johnny Cash. He's been in documentaries on Johnny Cash. He's done a ton of research on Johnny Cash and tells stories that I've never heard before. It's going to be kind of a coffee house feel next, uh, next Saturday night. And I would love for you to come and also invite people, maybe people that don't go to church because this is not... Um, it, it's a great inroad for people who are interested in the life of Johnny Cash and might like to know about why... Johnny Cash lived the kind of life he did. But this isn't an ad for that. That's an ad for that, but this isn't an ad for that. Because this is a series we're beginning for the next few weeks on the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is a great time to invite people that you know that are skeptics or agnostics. Because if you were, put, if you were in charge of making the Bible, here's what I know about you. You would not have put Ecclesiastes in. You would have put something more hallmarkish, right? You would have put like a precious moments thing, but Ecclesiastes is not that. Ecclesiastes is very much not that. Uh, it, it's the kind of book that if you read it and you're under 30, you're like, man, who invited this guy to the party? And if you're over 40 and you read it, you're like, I knew it. Because he says stuff that's so profound, but it's kind of like, you have to live a while before you realize the truth of it. And the reason we're doing this little book now is because we're entering into a season as we prepare for Lent where we start to realize we take responsibility for ourselves. Because here's the default human, the human uh, condition. We look at the brokenness in the world and since the fall, we've blamed, Right? Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and we blame politicians, although we elected them. We blame culture, although we helped make it. We blame our kids, but we raised them. And, and over and over again, we blame instead of doing the hard thing, which is look in the mirror and ask the really difficult question, where is the brokenness that's really easy for me to see in everyone else hiding in me? Two weeks ago in the Super Bowl, at the very last minute, there was a controversial call. You may remember this. If you're an Eagles fan, I guarantee you you remember it. Um, but there was a holding call against the Eagles that led to a penalty that led to the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. And people went Crazy. I mean, like, even the commentators were like, I wouldn't have called that. That doesn't look like a hold to me. Um, and, and, you know, everybody was immediately, you know, brushing to social media and all that stuff. But after the game, James Bradbury, the corner, cornerback who actually got called for holding, 
said, I did it. I held the guy. I was just hoping I wouldn't get called for it. And my respect for James Bradbury shot up. Because here's what you would have done. Here's what I would have done. In that moment, I, I would have been the victim. I, I would have done what, what most of us would have done. Rewrite history, incense the fan base. Instead, he takes responsibility in a moment when the whole world is watching. He was honest. And that's the thing about the Bible. It is so stinking honest. Outside of Jesus, there is no one in the Bible that's like, wow, yeah, I want to be just like that. There's not a single part of human existence or human emotion that isn't in the Bible that it's, not, that it's silent about. It doesn't offer cliches. It, honest, real, it offers real honest hope. But before you can get to hope, you have to be honest about why you need the hope. Okay, so Ecclesiastes. Before you get to Ecclesiastes, you need to know what kind of book it is in the Bible because it's different than the other parts of the Bible. In the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, there's a section called wisdom literature. Now, wisdom literature is different than other parts of the Bible. Wisdom literature is how it's trying to answer the question, what makes a life a good life? And we really need to pay attention to wisdom literature because... Most of what you think makes a life good, you're getting from advertisements. That's where we learn the most about what's a good life. And the other time is funerals, if you happen to be so lucky, so lucky as to get to go to funerals. Because there are two different ways of talking about the good life in American culture. And those two very different ways don't overlap much. In other words, when people ask me to do a funeral, they never ask me to give the commercial definitions of a good life. They never say, I want you to talk about how great her hair was. I want you to talk about how nice their car was or how big their house was. Instead, they want to talk about our virtues, like their kindness or their generosity or their humility. So the Bible is trying to give us a vision of what a good life is. And the wisdom books do that. And those wisdom books are Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Some people put Song of Songs in there and, and Psalms. But for the most part, those are, these are the three that have the most in common. Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And they all need each other because they're like in a conversation with each other. So let's take that one at a time. And by the time we get to Ecclesiastes, you'll see why. So... Proverbs is written as kind of a, uh, it, it reads like a fortune cookie, right? Like over and over again, just put these things in fortune cookies and sell them to Americans at Chinese restaurants. No, Proverbs is actually a training manual for parents to pass on wisdom from one generation to the next. So, it, and by the way, new parents, you could do a lot worse than learning Proverbs so you can teach it to your children. Proverbs is someone sitting down and letting you know, if you do this, then you can expect that. Proverbs is really important because wouldn't you like to not have to learn the hard way? Like, wouldn't you like to learn about marriage without having to blow up your own marriage? But by listening to people who have gone before you, who are radioing back telling you, if you do that, trust me from experience, this will happen. The comedian Will Rogers says, everybody learns. You can learn from books, you can learn from education, or you can learn by peeing on the electric fence. But everybody learns. <laughs> what way do you want to learn? And so Proverbs is trying to... I know, that's really good, isn't it? Thank you, Will Rogers. 
Um, Proverbs is trying to get you to look ahead. Now, in Christianity and in Greek philosophy, in, in this idea of wisdom, there is this big idea of telos. Let me hear you say telos. Telos is the Greek word that means ultimate aim or object. In other words, what, are, what is your life aimed at? And it's where we get the word telescope. So you can, if you point this, the telescopes work, they can let you see miles and miles and miles away. But what you see depends on what this is aimed at. And so what Proverbs is trying to get you to do is to consider your tomorrow today. It's trying to get you to consider, a, a, you know, little boy, little girl. It's trying to get you to consider, if I make this decision today, will I like where it will lead me tomorrow? It's trying to get you to consider your present in light of your future. And this is really important because a lot of us, we think, especially religious people, when we think of, of our life, we think in terms of right or wrong, which is good. I mean, that's not bad. But that's not the only category to think about stuff in. Like, should you marry that person? Is that right or wrong? I don't know. Maybe there's another category for it. Like, is it wise or foolish? In other words, when you make that decision, it may not be wrong, but it is certainly a direction. And when you get down that direction... Will you like where you have gotten? That's what Proverbs is trying to get parents to pass on to the next generation. If you, if you make that choice today, will you like your future tomorrow? So it, it gives all kinds of different you know, possibilities. It says that you know, if you choose bad friends, you're probably going to have bad character. You're probably not going to like it. You will become the sum total of the people that you hang out with the most. That's kind of what Proverbs is saying. If you choose to be lazy, the chances are you won't be prosperous. If you choose to sleep around, you're going to have a lap full of coals and your house will catch on fire. Proverbs is great because it's so stinking funny with the stuff it says. Now remember, it's, a, it's framed as a dad sitting down with his son. You could also frame it as a mom sitting down with her daughter. But here's what one of the Proverbs is. Look at this. Better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now, you can switch that quarrelsome husband, but just keep your elbows to yourself, right? Because here's what Proverbs is saying. It's been saying for thousands of years. Listen, buddy. Have a seat. Listen up. It's better for you to wake up and be alone than to wake up and wish you were. That's what Proverbs has been saying for thousands of years. Does this book have a point? Or, or what about this? This is one of my favorite. I, I would like to get this tattooed. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. <laughs> That's so great because here's what Proverbs is saying. Listen, man, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are morning people and there are people who hate morning people. And, and I love this because this isn't in the Ten Commandments. It's not in the Prophets. But God cares about our actual life that we're actually living on like our Mondays through Saturdays. He cares about the nuances that make a difference in our relationships and our experience. You know, we need God's help every moment. That's why I like wisdom literature. You know, stuff like what kind of person should I marry? Or what career path should I take? Or how can I endure this suffering that I can't escape? Or how should I spend my money? And ultimately, 
What kind of man or woman does God want me to be? Do I want to be? What telos does my life have? So that's how to read the Proverbs. It's not a bunch of fortune cookies. It's letting you know you don't have to learn from your own bad experiences. Generally speaking, this is how things work. And if you choose that path, don't lie to yourself. That's a path you chose. If you work hard, you have a good chance to prosper. If you raise your kids and you're intentional about raising them in the Lord, there's a good chance that when they're older, they don't depart from it. And yet, there is a darker side to Proverbs. Because Proverbs are generally true. But they are not always true. And that's why the very next book is Job. Because Proverbs is saying, listen, generally speaking... You can work hard, and it will, your hard work will come back to be a blessing. You can raise your kids well, and generally speaking, that will be something that blesses you and them. But sometimes it doesn't go like that. Sometimes you're the victim of other people's choices. You're the, sometimes no matter how intentional you are with your life, your life falls apart. And that's why it's important that Job is right there next to it in the Bible. So, for those of you unfamiliar, here's the story of Job real quick. It starts off, story of a guy named Job who is going to have his name mispronounced from here on out as Job. Um, but Job is a guy who's got it all. He's got a big family. He's wealthy. He's doing quite well. But the story of Job doesn't open up with Job. It opens up in the heavens. And God has, uh, you know, the Satan or the accuser comes to God and, and uh, saying, hey, I noticed the human beings aren't doing that great. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's like, are you kidding me? This guy, you have given him everything. I mean, you have protected him. He's not wanted anything. Job's got everything he could possibly want. Of course he's doing great. If, he says, if you just let me give him a little bit of trials and, tempt, uh, trials and hard times, then you'd see what he's really made of. And so God says, okay, you have my permission. Now, if Job knew this conversation was going on, he'd be like, I'm fine, just go on. You know, keep, keep, keep looking around, Satan, look for someone else. But here, here's what's important about the first chapter of Job is a lot of times people fall into the trap of thinking God's on one side, you know, like Rocky versus the Russian or whatever. God's on one side, you know, Draco is on the other. But no, it's not like that. Satan has to get permission to do this. But God allows it. And so Job has the worst day in the Bible because he has all this stuff, which means he has so much to lose. And he's having a normal day, and then all of a sudden, one of his servants runs up and says, hey, uh, the Chaldeans, this, this group of people, they attacked and they killed all your livestock, all your camels, all your, all your sheep, and, and they killed all your servants, and I'm the only one that got back to tell you. And while that servant is talking, another one comes up and is like, no, they didn't kill all the livestock. The other group of people did that. They got some more camels, they got the rest of your sheep, and they killed all the rest of your servants. And while that servant is talking, another servant comes running in and is like, you know how your whole family was just gathered together for like Thanksgiving? Well, there was an earthquake. And they're all dead. And I'm the only one who survived to tell you. And then another servant. 
Fire fell from heaven. At this point, you're like, okay, a plague, earthquake. But when fire starts falling from heaven, you've had a really bad day. And so Job tears his clothes and says a line that he's famous for. You know what? I was born naked. I'm going to go back to the dust naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the only family member that was spared, Job's wife, looks over there and sees her husband and says, Have you not lost enough? Are you still trying to be an honorable man? Just curse God and die. To which Job is like, Okay, God, take her. Give me back the camels, please. No, he didn't say that. But you got to think it's crossed his mind at this point. He's had a bad day. And, and then the accuser, Satan, goes back to God and is like, uh, God's like, well, seems like Job didn't do what you said. And he said, come on, please. He's still got his health. You, you've, you know, you've, you've protected him still. And God says, okay. You can take that too. Just don't kill him. And so Satan makes Job miserable boils, he can't get comfortable, he's just in agony. And then Job's friends come along. And Job's friends, they're big on Proverbs. <laughs> Job's friends are like, oh, Job, we got this because we know this little book, Proverbs. And listen, you have chosen this. And Job's like, I didn't choose this. And so basically 30 chapters, it's just Job's friends being like, yep, you did because, you know, it's karma. It's cause and equals effect. And that's the story of Job to give us, to pump the brakes, to know that, yeah, you know what? Most of the time, if you raise your kids in the Lord, when they're old, they do not depart from it. But not all the time. And maybe when you're about to say that to someone, just remember the story of Job and Job's friends. Proverbs emphasizes how much suffering can be directly related to wrongdoing. Job is there to let us know how much it's often not related. Sometimes your lap is full of coals because of other people's choices. And sometimes disaster strikes and God doesn't tell us why. It's part of living in a world made by love and for love because love gives everyone choices. And maybe your choices are not your choices have led you where you are today. But in Christianity, more often than not, most of us have chosen to live for ourselves. And sometimes the shrapnel of other people's choices have hit people who don't deserve it. So that's Job. Wisdom for when wisdom doesn't work. Now, most of you aren't going to have a day like the first chapter of Job. Although, I will tell you, my parents recently kind of did. At Christmas Eve, their house flooded. The pipes burst because it was freezing, and it flooded. They just moved out of the bigger house and into this smaller house close by us. And Anyway, so there's all kinds of water, and it's just... And they use that as an excuse to skip Christmas Eve service, <laughs> the pagans. Well, anyway, so uh, the last... 
like six weeks, they've been living in a hotel. They've had, you know, it, just the stuff that happens with getting your house fixed up. And <laughs> about 10 days ago, um, I've been, me and my brother and sister have been helping mom and dad try to navigate all this. And about 10 days ago, um, I'm working with the people who are fixing it. And while I'm working with it, mom calls and she is just, you know, very frantic. Because while we're working on this house, while they're in a hotel, uh, the roof on the house they just moved out of just blew off in the windstorm. And mom is like, you know, losing her mind. And I found a little bit of Job's friends going on in me. Like, somebody's not living right, mom. <laughs> Feel free to pass that on to her. But for most of us, we haven't had those days. I mean, you've had hard times maybe where it piled up a little bit, but you haven't had this kind of day. And here's the danger with that. It means that what you can do is you can start to think your problem isn't that you lost so much, but that you don't have enough. And that if you just had married better, if you just had been born into a better family or if you just had gone to another school or not gone to school or, you know, that if you just had more money or if your parents just weren't so mean or if you just, you know, whatever. You, and you start to create this fantasy life that never exists and never will exist that just outside your grasp. The problem with that kind of thinking is the book of Ecclesiastes. So turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and i got to warn you, this guy comes in like fire. He comes in super hot. Okay, here we go. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless. Now, I would like to encourage you to read this book over the next few weeks. Sincerely, I would. Talk to your friends and kids and family about it because this book is like nothing else in the Bible. You can see that right out of the gate. Meaningless. It's all smoke. It's all vapor. You read it and you're like, do you need a Prozac, sir? Right? Now, this book is written with the voice of King Solomon. It's written as a kind of biography of his life, as if it was written by him. And because it's, it can only, the stuff that Ecclesiastes is saying can only be written by someone who's lived his kind of life. It's written as if it, it's at the end of King Solomon's life, and it's something really important that only King Solomon can say. We'll get into that more in a couple of weeks. But here's the thing. Solomon has the life all of us think we want. You see beautiful people and you want to be with them? He was. You see money and you wish you had more? He had it. You see uh, works or achievements that you think would make your life meaningful? He did it. He done, he's done it. There was nothing he hadn't done or had or accumulated. And yet at the end of it, he says this. In verse 3, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come... And generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never had enough of seeing, nor the ear its feel of hearing. But 
What has been done, it'll be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, here's something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. You are, I am, here today and gone tomorrow. And you know this in your heart of hearts. I mean, how many of us know what our great-great-grandparents did? How many of us know what our great-great-grandparents' names or middle names were? We fool ourselves into thinking we're so important and significant because we don't want to think about the alternative. And here it is. You know what we're really doing? We're building sandcastles. And it feels really important. But guess what? When the tide comes in, it's just going to start all over. And everything we have built will be for re revealed for what it is. An empire of dirt. That's what we're doing. No matter how well they're built, no matter how big they are, the tide comes in and the sandcastles go away. Now remember, this is written as King Solomon. He has built quite a bit. He has seen quite a lot. And the word he uses to describe it, looking back at the end of his life, is meaningless. And it's in your Bible because we need it. It's wisdom. Generally speaking, here's how to live. That's the Proverbs. Job is written as wisdom for what do you do when you lose everything you want. And Ecclesiastes is written as wisdom for what do you do when you get everything you want. And you realize it wasn't enough. This is every human being ever. Ecclesiastes, it comes across as the only book of the Bible written on a Monday morning by a philosophy major. And sometimes you're reading and you're like, I just want to give you a hug, you know. But I promise you, we all experience this. And we can push those feelings down. We can ignore those things. But don't. It's in our Bible for a reason. The, Ecclesiastes is a great backdoor for believers to be able to acknowledge some of the really hard things to acknowledge. But it's also a great backdoor for non-believers. Because who would think to put this in the Bible? Okay, here's our life. I saw this. I think this is Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. This is a Yelp review of life on earth. <laughs> review your experience on earth. Verified human. Uh, the tacos were good. Some of the people were pretty chill. Beautiful sunsets. But there was also a lot of friction and injustice and heartbreak. The whole place was woefully mismanaged. But we found our ways to f have fun and make it interesting. We even healed a little along the way. Uh, probably won't come back. <laughs> That's Ecclesiastes. And listen, it's a hard book. But I think all theology has to start with the facts. Real life is hard. Maybe yours is harder than most, maybe not. And maybe you're just starting off your life and trying to make sense of this wonderful world you found yourself in. And maybe you're in a season of great joy and success and your future failures um, and even more success is further away. But take it from Ecclesiastes. Every one of us will face this. It's called death. 
And I think Ecclesiastes can help us face it well. Because the one thing we all have in common is we can't escape building only sandcastles. Everybody from President Lincoln to Adolf Hitler to Mother Teresa, they're gone. And what remains, remains for now. So back to Johnny Cash. That music video, uh, BBC said it was the best cover song ever done. Um, the, the director of that music video said he chose, um, he wanted two things. He wanted the public to be able to see Johnny Cash's frail health because that was part of the message that he was trying to say with the song. And he said, I also wanted to show his museum in Nashville because it had been, at, at one point it was this huge tourist attraction. And now it was just this dilapidated, worn down thing. He said, I wanted people to see that Johnny Cash, this man who had everything most people think they could want, is now acknowledging that's his problem. And now as Cash is watching the tide come in on his massive sandcastles, he was brave enough to say, what Ecclesiastes has been saying all along. Your sandcastles don't last. Your empire, no matter how big and magnificent you make it, is still just an empire of dirt. And one day the tide will come in. But there is a way to live in the face of this undeniable truth that does not have to lead to despair. Do you know four months after, actually the day that that video was filmed, June Carter is in the video, that's his wife, um, and the day that that video was made, she gets a phone call from the hospital saying, we found a heart anomaly. And four months later, she died. And three months after that, he died. And 18 months after that, the house that they filmed that in, that June and Johnny's house for 30 years, caught on fire. And everything burned to the ground. Only ashes and dirt. But Johnny was able to be honest about what season of life he was in because he had something beyond this life to hope in. And if you listen to the wisdom, wisdom of Ecclesiastes, you can too. And if not, you can say what you want. Your business cards can be printed on the finest paper but you're really just building an empire of dirt. Okay, I think Brother Jay is gonna do prayers of the people and then we'll have a benediction. So Paul, in chapter 4 of Philippians uh, says to the church there and to us today the following celebrate God all day every day I mean revel in him make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side working with them and not against them help them see the master is about to arrive he could show up at any time don't fret or worry Instead of worrying, pray and let your petitions and your praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. 
So today, on behalf of the shepherds, I want to thank this church for opening up your heart and sharing what you have with us and giving us the honor of praying over each of these 81 submissions this week. We've picked out one that really speaks to us because we see each of us in this submission. So here you go. This is today's prayer of the people. I get caught up in the minor things that don't go my way, and it makes it hard to see the bigger picture. I'm also overextended and too scattered to take a step back. I pray I can set, set work and life down to see God's grand plan for my life and give control over to him. Okay, so a couple things. One, Jake Carter, will you stand up? Jake, there you are. Okay, Jake got baptized last week. Go ahead, stand up, man. Let people see you. So, yeah. He didn't know people. He didn't know a lot of people when he came here. He knows a few people. Um, so can we fix that? So Jake Carter, right there. Uh, anyway, you can sit down. Um, also, this weekend's kind of full. It is, uh, there's... The IF gathering Friday night for our sisters and Saturday morning. And then Johnny Cash with Richard Beck. I can't overestimate or over, I can't tell you how great that's going to be. Um, invite your friends, invite your neighbors. It's a non-threatening thing for them to come to that I think people will really enjoy. It's going to have a coffee house kind of feel. And um, then Monday night is a cappella concert. Okay. I'd like to invite our shepherds up here. If you'd like some prayers or you'd like to learn more about baptism, like the other seven people who've gotten baptized in the last week, if you'd like to uh, know more about that, you can ask one of us. We would love to answer any questions. All right, church, until next week, let's be standing for a benediction. My brothers and sisters, may we not take ourselves too seriously. May we find joy in this life that is a gift from God. But we, may we never overestimate our importance in this life. Go in peace. <laughs>